following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. I'm going to be reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. If you want to follow along, feel free. Otherwise, you can just listen. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I, a Samaritan woman, How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Two, one, two, nope. Oh, it's, okay, you can hear it, but I can't, okay. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris Sullivan. Um, I have the honor and privilege of being part of a college of preachers here at Artisan where we take a collegial approach to uh, preaching. Um, yeah, so this is just, this is a, a great honor for me. So for the past couple of uh, years, we've been section hiking through the Gospel of John. And for the past four weeks, we've been uh, looking specifically at John chapter 8. Today we're actually going to go back, as you know, and read chapter and go through uh, John chapter 4. Um, currently I'm writing a thesis on the book of John, and about six months ago I was reading uh, this short section on John chapter 4 from a book um, three paragraphs long, and it just kind of blew me away uh, and made me rethink all my preconceptions about what I thought the text was actually saying. So what I'm going to be speaking about today is largely um, the kind of snowball effect those three paragraphs have had and how I uh, read the text. Um, but first, will you join me in prayer? Creator God, who's majesty and redeeming love dwarf even the expanse of the cosmos. We thank you for the way stories have something to say, the way we can attune ourselves to a narrative and be shaped by the words. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds now to be attuned to the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. 
Lord, that we would hear from you and that we would indeed be shaped by who this woman is. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John 4 is usually read as a story that even the worst of sinners can come to faith. In this chapter, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well. Through the course of his conversation with this woman, Jesus reveals that she has had five husbands. Even more, the man, she, he says that the man she's now with is currently not her husband. Later, she returns to her town and says, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Now, to our 21st century ears, this sounds like the text might be highlighting, or it sounds like Jesus might be highlighting her immoral past. And many sermons have followed that exact route. John Piper, in a 1984 sermon, characterized the woman as a worldly, sensually-minded, unspiritual harlot from Samaria. And even the song we sang here this morning, titled Mystery of Mercy, begins with this line, I am the woman at the well, I am the harlot. Indeed, this is the most common interpretation of the text. But is this reading well supported by what the text actually says and doesn't say? See, if you're like me and many others, sometimes we make assumptions about the story and read them into the text, skewing or missing the actual points the biblical writer is trying to make. And even major biblical commentaries do this. So if that's you, be comforted by that fact. And I want to make the claim today that there is nothing in the text that makes this interpretation obvious. Jesus does not speak of sin. He does not invite repentance. There's nothing explicitly said about her past. We assume that five husbands plus an unmarried partner equals an immoral past. But there are many alternative situations that could explain her history. For example, it it would have not been uncommon for her to have been widowed, abandoned, or even divorced. For women in the ancient world, this was unfortunately a common occurrence. Five times would have indeed been heartbreaking, but not impossible. But what about the man she's living with now who isn't her husband? Well, he could be someone who, wasn't, who she was dependent on or someone she is in what's called a levirate marriage where a woman marries her deceased husband's brother in order to produce a family heir. This kind of complex marriage was not always technically considered a marriage nor were the husband and wife always technically considered husband and wife. So let us not assume that she is a picture of the worst of sinners and instead come to the text afresh. Our focus for this morning is this. Who is the woman that Jesus meets at the well? And I want to highlight four points about who she is as we reflect on the text. To answer this question, let us first backtrack a bit and briefly note some themes that uh, occur in stories prior to John 4. So in chapter 2, we read of Jesus at a wedding where he turns water into wine. Delivering wine was the job of the bridegroom's family. So by turning the water into wine, Jesus symbolically assumes the role of the bridegroom. In chapter 3, we read the disappointing encounter Jesus has with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus was a man, a Jew, a religious leader. In many ways, he is a likely disciple, and yet he comes to Jesus, the light of the world, by the cover of darkness. Throughout their conversation, Nicodemus misunderstands every point Jesus is trying to make. As the story ends, we wonder with, with Jesus at Nicodemus, are you not a leader of Israel? Throughout John's gospel, light and day are associated with belief in Jesus. On this point, Nicodemus is still in the dark. Finally, before we get to chapter 4, the imagery of Jesus as the messianic bridegroom returns in 329, when John the Baptist describes his relationship with Jesus as the friend of the bridegroom in whose voice, at whose voice he greatly rejoices. So with that in mind, let's now turn to John 4. So verses 4 through 6, they situate the context. Jesus travels through Samaria, is tired, and rests near Jacob's well. It was about noon. Enter the Samaritan woman. And already we've got some clues about her and how the story might unfold. Who is she? She is Nicodemus's polar opposite. She is a woman, a Samaritan, a religious outcast. This leads to the first point that we can make about who she is. She is, in all practicality, an unlikely witness, an unlikely disciple. And yet, in contrast to Nicodemus, who met Jesus at night, the Samaritan woman meets Jesus when? At noon, middle of the day. Which begs the question, will she, unlike Nicodemus, understand who Jesus really is? As we know, she does, right? but not without first developing in her awareness of who Jesus is. And part of the brilliance of this story is that as she develops in her understanding of who Jesus is, we as the readers develop in our understanding of who the woman is. As we know... Oh, backtracking. Blah. <laughs> how, how does she first see Jesus, right? She first sees Jesus as Jesus, or as a Jewish man, a person of hostility. After Jesus asks for a drink, the Samaritan woman responds with astonishment in verse 9. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the narrator gives us that parenthetical comment. For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And there is absolute legitimacy to her surprise. In the first century, there was a significant amount of animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Much like in the Harry Potter novels where the Slytherin house disdained half-wizards, they termed mudbloods, so the Jews disdained the Samaritans, identifying them as unclean. Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman and a request to drink water from her jar would have been a significant break in Jewish tradition and an act of uncleanness, which for Jews was important. Additionally, Jewish men were in general prohibited from interacting with unknown women in the first place. And later we see when Jesus' disciples return that they're surprised for this very reason because he's talking with an unknown woman. As Jesus is breaking down social and cultural barriers to engage this woman, it is worth asking, what barriers might we have that prevent us from interacting with people? Now I can't skim past this very important point. 
Notice how Jesus begins their conversation, a conversation that will ultimately lead her to faith in the Messiah. He begins with his need, right? He's thirsty. He is asking her for a favor. Now, when I think, now I think when many of us think of ministry and how we can be agents of love and ambassadors of God's kingdom, we usually ask, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I meet your need? Instead of offering help, why don't we ask for it? Why don't we share our needs or ask for help from people outside the Christian community, from people we might not know very well or know at all? After all, on some level, our need is probably theirs also. And this is precisely what Jesus does in verse 10. He draws out, no pun intended, their shared need for water. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. They both are thirsty. Here Jesus gives us the second point we can make about who the woman is. She is parched with thirst. She needs this water to survive. Not only the water at Jacob's well, but the life-giving water from Jesus. And like her, you also need the water to survive. But like Nicodemus, she takes what Jesus says literally and asks a series of sarcastic questions. Sir, the woman said, which Sarah so perfectly read, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living, this magic water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus' response, in not so many words, comes at the end of verse 14, when he says, The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. And with a twist of irony, she sarcastically asks for this water, so she'll never be thirsty again. Although she probably wasn't serious about the water she just asked for, Jesus takes her seriously, and the conversation takes a turn. Jesus tells her, Go, call your husband and come back. She says to Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus reveals that she has had five husbands, and the one she is now with is not her husband. Notice how she dodges the issue. Sir, I see you are a prophet. Now, I've already made the claim that this section is probably not referring to her immoral past. Nowhere is sin suggested or repentance brought up. More than likely, she was widowed, divorced, or abandoned, probably a combination of those, others, of those options, and has been forced to depend on someone who currently isn't her husband. And this probably means that she has little hope for a husband in the future, given the cultural standards of the first century. So what is the third point we can make about who the Samaritan woman is? She is the undesirable bride. But this is precisely who Jesus is seeking to be his witness, to be his bride. A crucial and yet often neglected background to the story is the location of their meeting. Notice where it is, at a well. Every time a man and a woman meet at a well in the Hebrew Bible, 
the Old Testament. What follows is a betrothal. Isaac meets Rebekah at a well in Genesis 24. Jacob meets Rachel at a well in Genesis 29. The story in John 4 follows what is called a betrothal type scene, drawing on the setting and elements of those common stories and changing them in specific ways to make a point. One of the ways the story is changed is that the man usually meets a virgin woman who is, by the standards of the ancient world, a desirable bride. The Samaritan woman stands in contrast. By those same standards, she is an undesirable bride. But for Jesus, she is the reason he went to Samaria in the first place. The anticipation of this story is that the Samaritan woman, who seems to be in every way an unlikely disciple, who is an undesirable bride, will symbolically become just that, the bride of Christ. And yet, the Samaritan woman is more than just a single person in this text. She is what Raymond Collins has called a representative figure, that is, a symbolic character. She is symbolic not only of her larger ethnic group, but also of the new Israel, the bride given to Jesus, the bridegroom. So we've seen that the Samaritan woman is an unlikely witness. She's parched with thirst, and she's an undesirable bride. Three points, and I mentioned we'd make four. Who is the Samaritan woman? You are the Samaritan woman. Maybe there are barriers in your life that make you, like the Samaritan woman, an unlikely witness. Maybe you don't think people will take you seriously, or or maybe this has been your experience because of your gender or your race. Or maybe you are, like the Samaritan woman, parched with thirst. Maybe you're here because for you this is the well. If that's the case, Jesus is offering you living water. He is inviting you into his kingdom, even if you don't fully understand it. You can ask Jesus and he will respond, even if only to show you that he is more than just a Jewish man. Or maybe you are the undesirable bride. Maybe crap has happened in your life and you live with hurt, brokenness, or loss. And you feel to some degree unwelcome or unwanted in the church. There was a while where I I felt this way. Before Sarah and I were married, uh, I was married once before and divorced. I experienced rejection from close friends. Even my former pastor had told my mom that I was a disappointment. That I was supposed to be an example and had let the community down. My parents stopped attending church attending that church, and to this day have no real interest in being a part of a church community. If you have your own story of brokenness and rejection, I want you to know that you're welcome here. After all, the primary focus of this story is not on who the Samaritan is, however unlikely, thirsty, or undesirable she may be. It is on who she is or who she will be, rather, for those in her community as the bride of Christ. Jesus reveals himself to her with the first of John's I am statements. 
And she immediately runs to the townspeople and says, Come, see a man who told me everything I had ever done. Could he be the Messiah? Notice that she's not even convinced on this point. Could he be the Messiah? And the story closes with a spectacular conclusion in verses 40 through 42. When the, Samaritan's woman, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this is truly the Savior of the world. From Jewish man to prophet to Messiah and now to Savior of the world. Jesus tore down barriers and revealed himself to the Samaritan woman so that as the bride of Christ, she could invite her people to come and see for themselves who their Savior is. You are the bride of Christ. So be the Samaritan woman for your community. Amen. Uh, thank you, Chris. What a what a beautiful message for all of us. Um, and I'd like now, sort of springing off of that idea of Jesus um, as a bridegroom inviting guests to a feast, to invite you to come to the feast of His body and blood at His table. Uh, as Chris so wonderfully illustrated, no matter how much you have been rejected and dejected uh, by the world, by those around you, by your family, and especially maybe in this moment, you might want to think about how you might have been rejected and dejected by the church. Regardless of all of that, Jesus invites you to his table, welcomes you to his feast. It is one of my great privileges as a minister of the gospel to speak that invitation to you now. We will continue to worship in song during this time, uh, but all who are seeking to follow Jesus, all who see in themselves the Samaritan woman, um, and I would even give you permission and extend the invitation if you, like she, are not entirely convinced to come and see, as she invited her friends. Come and see. Could he be the Messiah? All who are seeking to know the answer to that question and to live into the answer to that question and to be his disciples are welcome at our table. You need not be a member of our church or of any church. Um, to receive the body and blood of Christ as it's represented and presented here. We have loaves of bread that you can tear off pieces from and you can dip them in either cup. There's two stations. Each station has wine and juice and uh, you would, of course, want to make the decision that would be best for you. Uh, but we offer both. As we continue to sing and worship, come to the table of the Lord. 
And uh, if you are not ready for this moment in this way, you can certainly sit and observe and think and meditate and pray. We also will have a member of the prayer team here uh, to my right and your left who, uh, if you'd like to receive personal prayer this morning, uh, you can do that. You may want to, especially since we did not do our typical congregational prayer today, but that is available to you as well. Um, But I invite you now to join me in continuing to worship him uh, in song and at the table. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.